Ask Wildman, the weekly show from full-service digital agency Wildman Web Solutions, is ready to answer all of your questions about marketing, tech, and sales to grow your small business. Each week, the Wildman Web Solutions team tackles your questions and trending topics live. Learn strategies and tactics to take your small business to big revenue. The Ask Wildman show starts now. Good morning. Happy Wednesday and welcome to Ask Wildman. My name is Miles Bassett. I'm the CEO and founder here at Wildman Web Solutions. Uh, we are a digital marketing agency here in Lawrence, Kansas, and we specialize working with small businesses to help them leverage technology to um, increase their sales and grow their business. Uh, we do this show every week, every Wednesday at 11, live streaming to our Facebook page and YouTube channel um, as an open Q&A to anyone and everyone who wants to ask a question of a professional digital marketer. So you've got some questions on business, technology, marketing, advertising design, or anything else, we'll do our best. Just throw your questions in the chat below. Or if you're catching this later and not watching us live, you can email us your questions at askwildman at wildmanweb.com. And we'll get back to you on those soon as we can or even answer them next week in the uh in a live show all right uh this week is a very special episode of ask wild man as it is the last episode of the year so i want to start off with a congratulations you made it end of 2020 uh we've all survived and uh you know we're regardless of if you've had a, uh, a little bit of a rough year like most of us or if like so very few you've managed to find some success in this wild year it is time to look back and review the year that was and um, hopefully look forward to next year with a little bit of uh, with optimism and a positive attitude so that's what we're going to be doing today we're going to be looking back at 2020 reviewing some of the biggest trends that we've seen taking those into the next year and making some predictions about 2021 and where we see the digital marketing world really going especially when it comes to small businesses all right well, with me here today, as always, is my friend, business partner, and birthday boy today, Mike Hanna. Miles. Good morning. There you are. How are you doing today? Yes, I'm doing fantastic, sir. If I was doing any better, I would be dreaming, but I'm not. I pinched myself this morning. I am just happy and healthy and more than delighted to be here with you, sir. All right, so this is kind of the breakdown over here at Wildman Web. Um, I'm sort of the tech side of the house, uh, software engineer. I do all the developing, all the building and everything. Mike is the marketing side of the house, advertising specialist, content creation, um, all that jazz. So we're going to be kind of breaking that up here, looking into some technology and marketing trends of last year, moving that into some predictions of 2021 and taking your questions as you have them. So uh, if you have any experience in anything that we're talking about, if you've got some questions, you want us to take a deeper dive into something we're talking about, please throw those comments or questions in the comments below. Again, we are live streaming to our Facebook channel and or our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. Uh, so pick your poison there and then, uh, yeah, let us know what you think in the comments looks like we got our uh, our first birthday wish awesome thank you chelsea i appreciate that chelsea thank you very much yeah and miles i think you uh 
I think you were right to offer some congratulations here uh, for everybody. We, we have made it through uh, what could only be described as an unforgettable year for sure. So everybody's celebrating a little something today, you know, the, the last official day of business for most of us of the year. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to seeing what you think of last year, um, or I guess this this year that's coming to a close, um, and seeing what kind of prediction we've come up with. We've come up with our predictions separately, so I don't know what he's going to say. He doesn't know what I'm going to say. Hopefully, we've got a couple overlapping things here. I don't know. I think we're pretty much on the same page on some of this stuff, but I know I have at least one that you're not going to like. So oh, no. uh, we'll see how this conversation yeah, we'll, goes here. We'll... We'll, we'll definitely see how it goes. It, at least, though, unlike most shows, Miles, we at least have a topic before we start the show That's true. <laughs> to go yeah. off of. So hopefully this will go a little bit smoother, uh, maybe even than usual. But, uh, you know, and let's let's be honest with ourselves in, in the audience. I don't know if these will be so much as predictions as just wild guesses, because if anything has been proven in 2020, it's. We don't know what the hell's going to happen over the next 12 months, folks, <laughs> but we do know what's happening right now. And we can assess the situation from that vantage point and what has happened to us over, especially the last nine months, and maybe try to piece together some uh, some fun observations that hopefully won't be too obvious uh, of what we see maybe coming down the pipe. And if anything, Miles, this will at least be a hilarious piece of content and maybe a blooper reel uh, for us to play back at this time next year uh and and maybe that anna could have some fun uh putting together some of our our miss our miscalculated predictions if you will and and, a, and a, let me take a moment here to give a big shout out to uh to anna since it is our last official day here at the office and our last show for the year you guys don't know who anna is but that's why we're giving her a shout out because she uh she does a lot of work for us behind the scenes including putting this uh this fine program out in bits and pieces across the internet for us each and every week. So shout out there to Anna, but uh, yeah, Miles, I think we're going to do this uh, McLaughlin group style, which probably most of the audience don't know. doesn't know what that means, but uh, we're going to do a, we're going to show your age there, Mike. Yes, I am showing my age. You know, leave us a, a heart or a like, or a comment. If, if you're familiar with the McLaughlin group out there, uh, I think there's a hilarious old Saturday Night Saturday Night Saturday Night Live skit. Uh, SNL acronym. SNL. Friend. There you go. Yep. Uh, maybe maybe we could throw it into the comment section as well. But uh, who who wants to start, Miles? Or I guess we're going to start with uh, with 2020. Is that how we're going to do it? Yeah, I think we we start with um, you know what we've seen because I think at least for me a lot of my predictions for twenty twenty one is going to be based off of trends. I don't like just making wild future guesses. I like looking at longer trends and seeing which ones I think are going to be strong enough um, and have reason enough to continue it well into the next year. So uh, let's let's start with what's happened and move into um, our probably hilariously wrong predictions for next year. Okay, well, let me do one more preface before I turn it back over to you, Miles. And that is, if anybody wants to hop in the, the comment section, put your own thoughts, observations, or predictions in there, please do. And if you guys really do have questions that you need answered, by all means, put those in as well. We will get to those at the end of the show. Since this is the last show of the year, I don't want to leave somebody uh, with a cliffhanger there and not get their question answered. So 
There you go. All right. Take it away, Miles. Absolutely. This is still a Q&A, so feel free to jump in or just comment. Um, actually, that does help us. The more engagement we get here, the more people we can reach, the more questions we can answer. So if you think that the information we're putting out here is, is helpful, is useful, then please give us a like, give us a share, uh, let people know what we're doing over here. But yeah, I'm going to break up my my trends and probably my predictions into a couple of different categories. We'll start off with more of the techie side of things, since that's that's really more my space. Um, I think that the the big winners of 2020, uh, the ones that you know maybe weren't super dominant, but that I saw taking the biggest steps would be um, AI and uh, NLP. AI is of course artificial intelligence, and for any techies out there. No, I don't actually mean artificial intelligence. We're not talking about ex machina level stuff. We're really talking about the colloquial term there, uh, which is more strictly defined as you know machine learning, big data processing, that kind of thing. Where basically our systems, our machines have gotten to the point where they can access just such massive amounts of data and process it so quickly that they can make intelligent decisions. Um, this AI, um, plays into a lot of things. You know, people are thinking pretty futuristic stuff. We're thinking self-driving cars and everything. Um, but it really has a lot more, um, a, a lot of ways that it plays into your day-to-day -day life that maybe you don't necessarily think of. Uh, the most obvious one that really impacts small businesses has been chatbots, I think. You see um, lots more chatbots coming up. I actually saw a survey this morning, uh, I think by, uh, who was doing it? I forget who, who the um, survey was coming from, um, but it was saying that um, of all businesses, not just small businesses, all size businesses, 80% of businesses either had a chatbot or were looking to get a chatbot in the next year. So that means that if you're not really looking about this, if you're not or looking at this, you're not thinking about this, then it could be that you know, uh, by ne this time next year, 60, 70, 80% of businesses have some sort of chatbot working. Um, and so you might be behind the curve there. But chatbots are able to interact with your customer base online, on social media, wherever they are, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And they're getting smarter and smarter all the time to the point where they're very conversational. Mm -hmm. And that ties into the next acronym I threw out there, which is one that I know that you've commented on before, Mike, even if you didn't know it, NLP, which is natural language processing. This is what is referred to in the tech side of the business when it comes to uh, chat bots, when it comes to voice search. This is something that you've been harping on all year, Mike, um, where basically the, our computers are able to understand natural human language a little bit better. Um, so whether you are searching for something by asking Alexa instead of searching something in Google, or if you're interacting with a chatbot using normal human language, um, you need some sort of natural language processing in order for that to really work. And that has taken some massive leaps and bounds this year, uh, getting much more advanced and also just getting a lot more accessible. There's a lot more tools out there for small businesses to be able to interact with um, AI tools and with natural language processing tools uh, to get themselves listed on voice search, to get themselves listed on local search through voice searches, to get themselves a chatbot or, or what have you in some way, use one of these technologies, again, AI and NLP to grow their business and really amp up their marketing style in 2020. That's a good one, Miles. I did not have that down. I did not have that one on my list. So that is even better. 
let me just let me ask you a follow-up question here well, i think most people understand i think pretty much most people let me, let me rephrase that understand uh how chatbots are integrated most people use or inter interact with them uh on a semi-regular basis mm -hmm. what are some some ways now i'm going to ask you to look into the crystal ball a little bit what are some ways that you see uh nsl did i get that right nlp uh, nlp <laughs> i totally butchered that uh better known as voice where's where do you see some of that coming into the consumer uh, main stage sooner rather than later, meaning when are we actually going to get some new toys to play with and how do you see that evolving on the consumer side of things from where I, I know, I know the tech, this is always the question here because I know the tech is, is in place, right? The technology is there for stuff that we won't, the consumer won't have for 10, 20 years because they haven't found a place in the market yet for it to, you know, fall in place with the everyday American lifestyle. So what do you see coming down the pipe on the voice side of things this is what I'm really curious about uh, that might enter into the lexicon of kind of everyday use or everyday consumer behavior uh, sooner rather than later. You know, we, we already, already have Alexa, Google Home, all those things, but what's next? Yeah, well, I'm going to talk about kind of both of those things in a concert because they really are playing together. Um, the voice stuff really doesn't have the power without the AI side of things. The AI side of things doesn't really have the usability without the language processing side of things. So those two things really are going to work in concert moving forward. And that's why I said that, um, you know, both the, the technology has taken some pretty big leaps this year, but also just the accessibility. Um, because you're right, the technology is out there. You know, I've I've worked on some pretty crazy artificial intelligence projects in the uh, last couple of years, in my time as a software developer, let's say. Um, and it's a lot more advanced than people are really regularly interacting uh, with on their day to day. But a lot of that stuff, a lot of the more advanced things are coming down the pipe and becoming more and more accessible, especially on the business side of things. So um, I think that one of, there's, there's two ways it's gonna impact businesses on the marketing side of things. One is gonna be that chatbots are gonna get more and more natural. They're gonna be better at, um, engaging in natural conversation. As of right now, it's kind of annoying um, setting up a chat box to start off with anyway, because you have to set up all of these sort of branches, conversational branches. If the customer says this, then you direct them over here. And if they say that, then they direct them over here. And so there's just a series of sort of if then type mm -hmm. of uh, decisions that you have to manually put in there. Uh, but there's, there's getting to be more and more assistive technologies out there where um, our our chatbots are getting smarter and they're going to be able to determine which way they should go in some of those things and be able to make uh, more decisions on their own. So for every manual decision that you put in there, there's 10 subsequent automated decisions that it can make by itself, making your work, your, your time uh, more effective, more powerful, and really building out that chatbot's ability to engage in meaningful um, more conversational style communication with your audience um, and be less 
I don't know, Robotty. You know, you guys have all had the kind of experience. You're dealing with a chat bot. You can't get it to do what you want. And finally, you just end up typing, bring me to a human, bring me to a human. And <laughs> eventually true. it has to give you to uh, some sort of actual support <laughs> technician and talk to you. So um, those kind of interactions, I think, are going to be going down as these chat bots get more and more advanced. And again, the assistive technology for building them is getting more and more advanced to where it's easier for people to actually build these things out and to build more robust chatbots. I also think this is going to start uh, taking part in some things like uh, search engine marketing, uh, display ads, any place where there's sort of a, uh, a, a bidding process for buying ad space out there. Mm -hmm. um, those things are, are moving so quickly, it's pretty difficult for just a human to look at the trends and figure out the best place to buy these ad spaces. Um, and the, the, the technology around that allowing people to um, buy the best ad space at the best time is has progressed a lot in the last year. Um, yep. I think I would probably, this isn't really programmatic digital advertising, but it's kind of sort of that, it's more like programmatic assistive stuff so if mm -hmm. you have someone you know like us who's building out a an sem campaign a search engine marketing campaign they may use some of these technologies to help them to find the right thing to buy find the right ad space to buy and to manipulate everything much more quickly be much more agile instead of having right. one day of research figuring out what platform is going to be best for this in this industry what keywords are going to be most relevant and get you the most bang for your buck they can set up this um this automated tool to be checking every second of every day exactly how this stuff is moving. So they optimize it at the very beginning, or they configure it at the very beginning for a particular client in a particular industry. Then they set it loose on this massive pile of data. And then because it can make these decisions so quickly, it can see these overarching trends and make predictions more accurately than just the plain human looking at this giant pile of data and not knowing what to do with it. So again, I see some of those assistive technologies jumping in and making things like search engine marketing and display ad marketing uh, be a little bit more effective, probably be a little bit more cost effective as well, make it a little, little bit cheaper, um, making it easier for agencies like us, and then therefore making it a little bit cheaper for the, uh, for the end user one to do that. And then obviously, going back into natural language processing, that's affecting how people are doing search. Um, it's really amping up in conjunction with some other things we'll probably talk about later, local search specifically. Mm -hmm. um, so if you are doing any sort of SEO, make sure that you're putting in geographic keywords in there and you're really pushing that local search, uh, those local search metrics. Um, and it's just changing how people are actually doing search. So instead of Pizza Lawrence, Kansas, you are instead optimizing yourself for where is the best pizza in Lawrence or something mm -hmm. like that. It's more of a natural language type of thing instead of how we interact with, uh, with Google normally or with search engines normally. So uh, the searches are starting to think more human behavior like than keyword search term like than, than AI like is what you're saying. They're just, yeah, they're getting a little bit smarter and they're getting a little bit better at understanding natural language. Again, that's the that's the acronym that I'll keep using there because I think it really summarizes a lot of what we're talking about here. It encompasses okay. chatbots and voice search and all of that into one one massive, very, very useful bucket. So, Miles, this I'm going to try to ask this in the least subjective way, but do, do you feel 
you feel like that that is actually a, a level of truth or, or something we could point to to say that, that it is something objective that Google is maybe because, you know, Google right now, of course, in their in their marketing and their PR is just like Facebook is, which we'll, we maybe we'll get into later. I don't know. Maybe we won't because we don't want to get the, the hammer ban. Um, but <laughs> uh, we love you, Zucks. Uh, you know, Google's saying, you know, that they're trying to do everything to help small businesses during this time. And they're trying to, you know, optimize to help uh, SMBs. Is, is that a way that they're maybe they're actually doing that by, by hyper-localizing some of their searches? I think it can be. Um, it is, they're putting the springboard there, but you still have to jump. So yeah. basically, um, some of the newer updates and the algorithm coming out are really prioritizing local search. Um, so this is an opportunity if you, if you actually work to optimize it and you, you work to leverage it, it's not just going to be an instant win for you. Um, okay. for example, um, I don't know, this is probably going to be a bad example off the top of my head, but you know, if I'm searching a hardware store, if I just Google hardware store, the first things that are going to come up are of course going to be Home Depot or around here, probably Westlake is going to come up or something like that. There's no way that Cotton's is going to be at the top of that list. Okay. However, using uh, some of the local search strategies uh, that they're putting out here and, and leveraging some of the new updates that really are prioritizing localized search. If you were to optimize all of your content to be hardware store of Lawrence, we are Lawrence's hardware. We're putting out all of these proper keywords, mm -hmm. uh, pairing our brand with uh, geographical keywords like the city, like the county, like the state, like whatever you have. Um, then there's a possibility that if I were to search instead hardware store Lawrence that cottons could be competitive with some of the national brands just because it is pushing this local search, uh, Got it. prioritization that they have. Okay. That will, they're at, they're at least giving them a, a doorway then. Exactly. Uh, like I said, so that, that's springboard. Possible. You still have to jump. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good analogy there, Miles. All right. Well, that was that was an excellent first one. I didn't. I don't know if we were going to take that that long on it, but uh, I will go ahead and throw out my first uh, trend. I may, I may just combine a couple of these because you know me. I like to start at about thirty thousand feet and then and then drop in for the landing here. So these are going to be pretty general. Um, but I'm going to steal a term uh, from Kevin O'Leary, of course, Mister Wonderful, uh, off of Shark Tank, who was called this year the digital pivot, which has created America 2.0. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna create I'm gonna say this is digital America 2.0, uh, and of course the big obvious trend that we've seen uh, since March uh, is you know social distancing has created uh, just a, a flood of of engagement, viewership, time spent not only on the internet but especially on social media. But we've engaged as consumers and as just everyday people as you know, mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, just people in our community. We've engaged digitally like never before as so many things in our life that we used to engage with, uh, you know, person to person, human to human, just became impossible to do. Uh, we, we've quoted this many times before on the show uh, over the last several months, but it's worth quoting again because it really, every time I say it, it just absolutely blows my mind. Uh, and that is Salesforce. Uh, claims that in the first five months of the pandemic, the digitalization of the U.S. economy 
advanced five years, which is absolutely remarkable and is certainly a change that is going to affect the next five, 10 years, uh, you know, that's to say the least. And so that, that's really the biggest thing uh, is just, you know, how much time that we are spending not only online, but how that has become now our preferred, not our, say our preferred, but our go-to way of communicating and spending time with people, whether that's in a business setting uh, or just, you know, like I said, you know, calling up your mom or your dad, uh, you're probably not going to, you know, drive over there or, or get on a plane and go visit them. Uh, you're going to set up a Zoom call, you know, so many as have us had to do on Thanksgiving and stuff like that. And so while some of those things will, will not last forever, the human behavior that has been ingrained has uh, extremely long-lasting impacts. And of course, the thing that Miles and I, we've been harping on here uh, is the fact that this saves so much time and money. Uh, and, and time is, of course, that commodity that is humans value probably over anything else. And so how does this affect the business world? And how does this affect, you know, primarily small businesses? Well, first of all, I think the entire business landscape has changed. You know, I don't think that we're going to have the kind of business travel that we've seen in the past, because what business has learned over the past nine months is we don't have to send Tommy and Sally halfway across the U.S. to have a meeting with that client. They can get on a Zoom call and they can close the deal and it's the same amount of ROI. It's actually a greater ROI for the company's bottom line because we don't have to buy the, we don't have to buy the hotels, we don't have to buy the plane tickets, we don't have to buy the expense, we don't have the expense accounts, you know, the client dinners and all these things. And not, not to say that that stuff won't ever come back, but it's never going to come back in the volume that it once did. Uh, we talked a, a few a few months ago, I think it was, uh, about the trend I was seeing in office office space and office usage and what that was going to, you know, shake out uh, to be, uh, you know, how that was going to influence where people were actually going to live. And I saw, I wish I'd kept the article, Miles, but I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal the other day that was talking about this exact same thing. And it's starting to happen is that people in major metropolitan centers, uh, LA, Chicago, New York, especially, they are moving, they are leaving and they're going someplace that's not as crowded, not as expensive. And, you know, in lots, a lot of ways of, is better to raise a family because the only reason that they were in those cities to begin with is because of their job, because that's where their that high paying job was and that big corporation that, uh, that had their office there. And so, this is something that's going to have a profound impact. Not only it already has had a profound impact on big corporations, but what about all those small businesses that service big corporations, you know, or even small companies? Uh, it's going to have a massive ripple through the entire economy. Uh, whether we're talking about the hospitality space, the commercial real estate space, uh, the food, the restaurant industry, it, it's it, we're not we're not quite sure what's going to happen, but just over the what we've seen over the last nine months, we know it's never probably going to go back to the way that it was before. Uh, and so that's my, my, my big, big one, I guess, is, you know, just how much we are now not traveling, not going places to do stump something. And instead we're engaging through that and, and doing that same practice or that same activity, but through the digital space. Yeah, I know I at least have one friend that's uh, decided to move across the country uh, from, from one state to another. 
um, to be closer to her daughter, but that's because her company has decided to uh, go full-time remote. Even after this pandemic, they announced that they're just going to stay remote because they hadn't seen any sort of uh, problems with their productivity. People have pretty much liked it. And they said, you know what, we're going to save the overhead on an office and just go hundred percent remote uh, and, and keep going this way into the future. So she's now yeah, it, moving out that... of the city where this business was and uh, going out to be closer to family. Hundred percent, and it just reminded me in that article they, you know, they made the point that uh, it, we may even see companies that, when when you know the the all clear is given and you know uh, the the vaccination is you know complete and we have her immunity that people might actually or big companies might actually be going to kind of what we're seeing now in the schools where they have a hybrid model where you know you have a you have a team A team B and team C and team A comes into the office you know Monday Tuesday team uh, B on Wednesday and Team C on Thursday, Friday, and the rest of the time they're working from home. And so that way that would allow you to have a much smaller uh, office space, cut down overhead. And then, yeah, it wouldn't be as big of a pain for me to drive 45 minutes to even maybe 90 minutes, you know, in for a commute uh, if if I'm only going two days a week, right? So that, it's going to be a huge, huge uh, shift in, in America. You know, if we just, I you know I like history miles. And so, you know, if we look back at history and some of the big migrations of working populations, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's coincided with some of the biggest transitional periods in business that we've ever had, you know, starting with the industrial revolution, everybody went from the farm into the cities uh, and then the cities got overcrowded and then people moved out to the suburbs, you know, and then there was, uh, and then, and then there was a revitalization in a lot of American cities. And, and some people moved back into uh, the big cities once they became safer. And uh, there was, you know, high speed rails and, and taxi and Ubers and things like this it was easier, more affordable to get around. Uh, and now we've seen people go from the office to the home, <laughs> which, you know, not only has physical uh, implications, but I'm not a, I'm not a, a um, uh, a counselor or behavioral psychologist, but, you know, it, it also, you know, has profound human uh, uh, implications, you know, just people being at home all the time. And, and I didn't even, and we're kind of going off the deep end on this, but, uh, you know, sometimes that can lead to other problems. Uh, you know, we, we've seen an uptick in substance abuse and domestic abuse and, and, you know, people, just having issues and things like that with their home life, because sometimes the office was a way to get away from that. And they haven't had that, you know, the last nine months. So there's going to be all kinds of things that shake out from this um, that we're just going to have to keep watching and, and, and hope for the best. But uh, it, it's really, really interesting, Miles. And, and I think that the bottom line is, you know, we can do things now uh, and be more, be more productive and, 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 and some people will say, hey, I'm not, I'm not as productive and working from home. And, and that's true for a lot of people. But again, that doesn't mean that you have to live in the major city. You know, maybe that means you're going to a co-working space uh, in a smaller town an hour and a half away from where your, your corporate headquarters is. And you just have a quiet space that you work there um, or something like that. So uh, yeah, it's, well, it's, a, it's a huge a trend. 
I had a point on that as well. So you're not too far off base. Uh, but you did hit on one thing, which I, I hadn't really thought about. That could be a really interesting data point coming up this next year is co-working spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that was getting more and more uh, common, especially in bigger cities. Um, I remember when I was out in, in Colorado, those things were on every street corner, um, even in some smaller towns. It, it was wild. And I haven't really seen that move in here. Uh, I've I know one guy who owns a couple in Manhattan. I know we we have a couple of small spaces cropping up here in Lawrence, but hadn't really picked up steam that other places really had. And obviously that hasn't been a, an option during COVID. Everyone needs to be at home. Um, and you know, being in a co-working space is just as bad as going into an office. But once we do move past uh, just the, the health, uh, public health risk part of things, but we're still talking about remote work, I do wonder how uh, co-working spaces are going to uh, change that landscape and how many people are really going to start leveraging those things um, as sort of this this compromise between going into the office and working from home 100% of the time. Yep. Um, the note here that I had was, um, uh, that's kind of similar to that, is just that it's looking at a couple of studies from different uh, larger HR programs and everything, people looking at how uh, this remote work has affected people. And to start off with, the numbers were actually really surprising. You know, we were seeing, uh, we thought that we'd see a big dip in productivity and, uh, you know, this not really working out very well, but people seem to really love it. And a lot of jobs that people assumed you couldn't do remotely were now kind of, uh, you know, forced to give it a try. And it looks like it kind of worked. But now that the the newness of it is fading away. It's less of a new shiny toy to play with. People are getting a little right. bit more used to it. Uh, we're seeing some of those numbers drop. And I don't know if that's uh, that could just be sort of a fluke of the time of year um, or could be due to some other social issues, other things going on. We've got plenty of those things happening this year. So uh, there's no really, not really any way to know where these trends are coming from. But employee morale is going down overall. People are getting a little bit stressed. Productivity is going down a little bit. So as yeah. we move into the next year, I think there's a couple of things that we really need to focus on, especially for businesses that are going to uh, remain at least in some part remote. There's a couple of things that I hadn't really thought of until I looked over some of these studies and um, started reading into it a little bit. But um, as a business owner, it's 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 our responsibility to make sure that uh, all the customer-facing teams, the service people, marketing people, salespeople, or even if you're a one-man show, this applies to yourself as well, um, they understand that you know, even though you're not working in the same office, you're not working the same building, you and I are working from from our, our respective homes across town, we're still working together and working towards a common goal. So it's important to break down projects, a little bit more organization may be required since those kind of micro communications aren't happening throughout the day. Um, and breaking things down into more digestible chunks um, and instantiating certain milestones throughout a project, because I mean, when we're working together in an office, there's all sorts of little communications that you don't really think about um, when people are working together on something and those things just aren't happening. Um, They have to think about those less conscious communications um, and make sure that everyone is staying on target. That just takes a little bit more structure on the projects. And also, this is the thing I hadn't really thought about um, since you you and I are talking all day, every day, pretty much. But for other organizations, you know, some people are working at home and the only time they hear from a manager or from a coworker is when something's on fire. Something, yeah, right. Yeah, something goes horribly wrong and that's That's when they're having the interaction. So it's possible that 
in some businesses over the last couple of months, the only interaction they've had with their managers and with their coworkers has been incredibly negative. So yeah. it's really important to make sure that when you do have a win, when you have a success, when someone does good, that you're communicating that. You have multiple communication channels open for all of your employees, for all of your coworkers, so they can talk amongst themselves and they can communicate with you. Um, and then when something good does happen, make sure that's communicated out to the entire team, whether it really directly impacts them or not, and allow them to have those kind of micro transactions, those micro communications throughout the day in as many ways as possible. Um, and I think that that'll really help all of us, uh, both business owners, employees, and consumers, uh, to have a much more um, uh, healthier and more productive 2021. Yeah, great points, Miles. I think that would be, it'd be interesting to talk to a, uh, I used to think these guys were so, so full of it. Uh, when, you know, when they'd come in uh, to offices and stuff and do team building exercises, but it, it'd be really interesting to kind of talk to a, uh, a behavioral psychologist. My, my dad actually used to do this stuff. So maybe I should be, I should be uh, more respectful of it. Uh, but uh, you know, and, and just kind of do the psychoanalysis of, the business environment now that yeah there isn't that cohesiveness that you can get in an office space when everybody is there together working on the same thing you know you, you there's that energy you know that kind of happens uh when everything's firing all cylinders and that has gone away uh and there's a vacuum there where yeah hopefully it's not being filled with negative things but it certainly could be well miles do you want to take take a quick minute here to reset the uh Reset the top, let people know what we're doing and, and uh, where they can follow us. And I'm, I'm going to be back in my seat in five seconds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so this is Ask Wildman, an open Q&A we're doing every week, Wednesdays at 11. We're streaming live to our Facebook page and to our YouTube channel to answer your questions about technology, business, marketing, whatever the hell else you want to ask us about. We'll give it our best shot. Um, we do have a couple of questions over here in the comments, which I'm going to address real quick. Um, I see we've got a question from our favorite viewer, Jeff. Do you see, do you see Facebook losing audience to the new uncensored social channels? I'll take that a little bit further and kind of remove the uncensored part there into new social channels. Um, whether we're just talking about new stuff popping up, uh, smaller platforms out there, um, Regardless, we've actually, we just posted about this on our Facebook page. So if you're on our Facebook page, scroll down two inches and you'll see our post from this morning uh, where we talked about actually leveraging some of these smaller platforms because they are smaller marketplaces. Um, there's less competition there. And so it can be a less competitive space for smaller businesses where you can get a bigger bang for your buck. This could be doing some search engine marketing on Bing, for example. This could be uh, taking some of your advertising dollars and putting it over on TikTok, if that's your preferred demographic. Uh, but regardless, putting yourself into some of these newer platforms, some of these smaller platforms can make you a little bit more competitive and get you, uh, you know, more for your advertising dollars if 
and big stress on the if here, it's part of an overarching marketing strategy that makes sense. So you can't just throw a bunch of money at TikTok and expect to get a bunch of business return out of it. Have an overarching strategy and understand that these spaces do have a smaller audience. They are a smaller marketplace, but that maybe if you leverage that properly and you put that into your strategy, you can reach more people for less money. Oh, and this next question, I know Mike's going to want to jump back in on, so I'm going to bring you back in here. <laughs> there he is. What is going to happen with live music? Stream shows are okay, but they are not feeding my soul. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that's a that's a touchy subject over here in this house. Um, well, let me, let me first go back to that first question there uh, about the audience channels, because there actually was a big piece of news Oh yeah, that that has happened since I think we 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 did our last show uh, that I wanted to somehow fit in here <laughs> to this show, and so that one will uh, will hopefully work well. Uh, yes, Jeff, I do see in the short term that uh, was yeah, Jeff asked that question. I do see yeah. that uh, I, yeah, you know they they're already losing audience, uh, Facebook especially to some of these uncensored channels so to speak. The question in my mind is how long are these uncensored channels actually uncensored? Uh, I think we talked a little bit about this last week with the news that um, the, uh, the Federal Trade Commission has and some states have formed a lawsuit against Facebook and they are, uh, they're going to try to break them up. And, and this is, you know, one of the last major unregulated industries and, and not to say that there's not any regulations on it, but by and large, it is vastly unregulated compared to industries this size. And so the question is, what's going to happen once it becomes regulated? And if history is any indicator, uh, what is going to what is traditionally going to happen is that the the regulations will will not only affect the major players, the major sh shareholders, but they'll also affect the emerging competitors. And the emerging competitors, of course, don't have the bandwidth, don't have the resources to compete uh, when they're also having to jump through hoops, pay fines, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that, that comes along with, re with re regulatory actions. And so a lot of times it can actually lead to a less competitive environment and a bigger upside for the people that already hold the power share. Not always the case, but in, in most cases uh, throughout history, that is what happened. That is what's happened. So that is is my concern here is that you know these quote-unquote unrestricted uh platforms will not be unrestricted very long and they will have to you know adhere to the same guidelines as everybody else and so when that happens what happens you know it, it, that that's the question that we can't answer right now um but okay here's the big news apple and there's a lot of debate about what's this mean, what this actually means. So uh, we'll, we'll get into that. But Apple has said uh, that they are now going to restrict basically the data that they are going to be allowing Facebook to collect on their, uh, their products. So this, of course, you know, specifically the iPhone is the big one here. Uh, so if we're not able to track third-party data from Facebook, if we're not able to use, uh, you know, Facebook pixels uh, and things like that in a, in a, a, in an effective way, it's going to completely dramatically uh, rearrange the advertising space, which it's already, you know, 
the, re- the advertising space has been rearranged umpteen times uh, over the last decade or so. So this is just another hurdle uh, in, in our world over here. But it could be a major thing for small businesses that don't understand what's coming down the pipeline, that are relying solely uh, on something like Facebook um, and Facebook advertising to, to you know, make their business survive. Uh, that could be a huge game changer for them, un- unfortunately, in a, in a negative way. Uh, so if this happens also on emerging platforms, uh, that could also be a death blow to them, you know, ever getting the kind of advertising share that would allow them to be a, a big platform, so to speak. Uh, so I'm going to get into this a little bit more about what, what this means for 2021 here in a minute, but, uh, that's definitely some big news. Okay. So now live music, um, geez. Well, before yesterday, I probably would have said, uh, you know, 80% of the live music industry is going to go to zero. Uh, I, I'm more hopeful on that now. Uh, because uh, there was, I think, $15 billion in the, uh, the <laughs> I guess we can call it a stimulus bill. We're still trying to figure out what was in that thing uh, that got passed uh, by Congress the other day. But um, uh, yeah, I believe there was $15 billion for independent uh, venues across America, basically as a lifeline to them, uh, to bail them out. Because uh, you know, and, and I'm, I'm going to talk about um, essential versus non-essential here in a second. But you know, is one of the biggest trends of 2020. But obviously, you know, downtown Lawrence is a great example. There's still many, 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 many. Almost all theaters across the country are still closed, and we don't know when they're going to open. Liberty Hall and the Granada Theater being two uh, great examples, uh, heartbreaking here in our community. And you know, they probably weren't going to make it unless there was some way that the government was going to bail them out. So that was going to happen across all of America. Already we've seen 80% of the talent agencies, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the, the bookers, the promoters, you know, all the people behind the scenes that make the music industry work. Uh, they're all gone or they've, you know, they folded their, their company and they've merged with somebody else. I mean, it's complete, utter chaos and carnage uh, you know, across the entire industry. And so if that also happened to the independent venues and many of them already have closed and will never open up again, but I mean, it was going to be 90 plus percent of them were going to close, you know, if this thing didn't happen. And if that happens, then the entire indie music industry would also go under in, in one man's opinion. Uh, I, I don't think live nation and AEG would come in and, and buy all these things, these things up. They would buy some of them, but they can't buy them all up and then just compete with themselves. It'd be ridiculous. And they also, there's, there's not the financial margin on the smaller, the small, medium-sized uh, scale for Live Nation and AEG to get involved with. You know, they like to pick off the successful <laughs> uh, people in the small, medium range and, and then move them into their business model. Their business model doesn't work if they go down and they start cultivating talent from the, uh, you know, the, the small club level. So that all would have to be reliant on the indie music, uh, industry. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we get some of it back. Uh, I don't think it's, it's, it's going to take a while, you know, it's going to take, I think three years at least, uh, until we know until, you know, kind of the, 
the dust has settled and we'll see which phoenixes have, have risen from the ashes. But, you know, Jeff, this, this conversation, unfortunately, could be had about many sectors uh, across, our, across our great nation here. Uh, and, and so, you know, I'll, I'll just throw this out there. You know, this is an opportunity for all companies almost to reinvent themselves and to be that phoenix rising from the ashes, to, to give a, uh, a historical analogy that we're all familiar with here in Lawrence, of course, with uh, Quantrill's raid and, and ashes to immortality. But it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a very interesting time. But I don't, I don't want to sound too negative because I also think that it's a really great opportunity for savvy businesses to reinvent themselves even in a better way. And so we may have better talent agencies and, and better booking and, and, you know, hopefully a better music industry will emerge from this, but I, it's going to take some time. It's going to take, uh, you know, three to five years probably before that will happen. So there's my take on that. Not hopefully not too negative or too sour. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's pretty realistic. And um, I, I just add that in the meantime, uh, for those of you out there like us who who love the local music scene or your local music scene, if you're watching this from from not Lawrence, um, take a little bit of time, take a little bit of effort to support your musician friends out there. Um, I think there are probably going to be some more advancements and you know people getting better at doing these types of streamed shows and online virtual events and stuff like that. But I mean, realistically, it's going to be a while before we really have um, in-person live events to the scale that we had before. Uh, so, you know, regardless of how all of this goes, uh, your, your, your music friends are struggling here. So take a little bit of time, dedicate some time to watch their streams, watch their shows. They have a virtual chip jar and you're able to do so, you know, contribute to that. Or if you do see anything else going on, uh, to, to help your local music scene, your hospitality scene, uh, you know, just make the extra little effort and, and uh, participate in those things. Sometimes it doesn't even take money, you know, a tip jar is nice or paying to get into an event is nice, but just watching their live stream, liking and sharing it, helping them to get some more engagement that way can be a, can be a big win for them. So. Yeah. And, uh, and this, this will, this will actually dovetail nice and, into my next trend of, of 2020. So I'm going to, I'm just going to keep this going miles since it looks like we're already going to go over time a little bit, but here's, here's one positive thing that I will throw in there. Um, I think that Monday was the three year anniversary of net neutrality going away. And so mm -hmm. the good news is, is that all the doomsayers about net neutrality were totally wrong. And, uh, and the internet has not been massively disrupted. It did not run. If you guys remember three years ago, uh, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, that was going to cripple the independent music industry. That was going to wipe out all independent artists and they would never be able to survive. And the, of course, the ironic thing is that's the only thing right now <laughs> that has kept the independent artist afloat uh, is the internet, especially social media and live streaming. So please, please go out there and support them on their channels. Uh, donate to them, send them Venmo. Uh, because they're doing everything they can right now uh, to keep it going and, and it's admirable as can be. So uh, the, the next big trend, though, of course. Uh, it's starting to feel like a Sarah McLaughlin thing. <laughs> you hear that song in the background. Obviously, we hold up a position. Just nine so, minutes a day. You can support your local base there. So, anywho, so, so the, next, the next big thing, 
uh, of course, you know, that we, we can't, we can't uh, leave 2020 without at least commenting on a little bit is this whole idea of, you know, essential versus non-essential. You know, I, I don't think anytime, anywhere, any of us could have predicted that, you know, businesses were going to be shut down based on just this arbitrary thing of, hey, you're essential, you're not essential. But, hey, it happened, okay? Um, and so what does that mean for businesses moving forward? Well, I think that there's going to have to be some sort of trepidation, you know, uh, about that. You know, it's the live music industry is a great example of this, Jeff. You know, it's like, what is that going to do to investors and, you know, people who maybe would have before been willing to invest in uh, a live music venue, you know, or, or think of any of these type of businesses that got shut down. Um, you know, if something like this happens again, could they also get shut down and be wiped out, you know? And so that's a trend, unfortunately, that I think will have lingering implications here as we move forward that maybe it wasn't, wasn't a positive thing. And, and I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not arguing, you know, I'm, I'm not a uh, public health official, so I'm not arguing whether or not these people should have been shut down or not. But what I'm saying is the fact of the matter is it, it is going to have lasting implications for businesses. And it's something that, you know, we're all as entrepreneurs and, and people who invest in entrepreneurs, we're going to have to, uh, to calculate, you know, into our predictions uh, moving forward as we, as we try to navigate different markets. And then the other thing uh, that happened, and then I'll turn it back over to you, Miles, for your thoughts on, on these two big things, uh, was cancel culture. And, I, you know, again, I'm not trying to weigh in on whether or not cancel culture is right or wrong. I'm just saying it's an obvious thing that happened, and it had a profound uh, effect on businesses. You know, it, we, we were in a, a, an environment, and we're still in an environment, where it was taken that if you weren't saying something, if you weren't taking a stance, then you were you know, basically a racist, you know, that, you know, and so what it did was it formed every business out there to basically enter into this conversation and, and pivot into, uh, into this national conversation, unlike something that we've rarely ever seen before, you know, maybe 9-11, you know, with, with, you know, the kind of the United Stand stuff and everything that was going on then, but, Miles, I'd be curious if you had any other, you know, historical analogies to this in, in recent history. But, you know, in, we had, you know, companies that changed their entire logo, their entire uh, saying and slogans and everything that had been going on for hundreds of years just off of the chance that they might get called out. You know, people that weren't even getting called out, you know, started coming out and saying, well, OK, well, hey, we're, we're getting out in front of this thing and we're changing everything. And so, again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it could lead to a trepidation in what brands and businesses are willing to say and willing to put out there in the future. And, like, will this make people more safe? Will this people not be as edgy in their marketing and, you know, go out and kind of take chances because they're afraid of crossing a line and, and getting called out and getting canceled? I hope not. Uh, you know, but because I think that would make advertising and marketing not only more dull, but more ineffective. But I think it's a very real, real possibility based on what we've seen over the last nine months or so. Yeah, I'll take those uh, 
one by one, you know, starting off there with just talking about the investors and looking at this thing. I mean, this is, you know, coming as uh, as a programmer, someone that looks at at things, you know, boils them down to numbers and metrics and everything. I, I don't try to try not to be cold or anything, but that's how I analyze these kinds of things. And if I were an investor, um, I might definitely, I would probably take these, um, you know, that kind of measurement into account when investing in a new business moving forward even if i'm looking at something in 2025 now there's this precedent of this type of business this industry has been marked by you know the powers that be as essential and this one has not which means that i have to factor that into my risk assessment so that may be one of the things that right. we didn't think about to begin with, but could be a lasting effect that we see for for years to come is that there is this new, you know, disaster risk risk assessment metric being thrown into uh, not only investments, but all sorts of business dealings. Um, so I think you're absolutely right there. I don't know. I don't know how much of uh, how much weight that particular metric is going to have. And I guess we, we won't know until we, we really move forward with this and see. Um, the other long-lasting effects of of where we are right now on the account in, on the economy over the next decade or so, because um, I really think that's what's going to determine the weight of that particular metric. Um, you know, if we manage to sort of bounce back and a lot of those industries are doing well, then I think that we probably won't weigh those as much. But if there's a clear demarcation between those determined uh, essential and those that were successful through this time, uh, then I'd say. You know, people are going to be weighing that pretty heavily for the next uh, who knows how long. Uh, moving into the second point there, um, I, I, we, we talked about this pretty briefly, uh, I think a few months ago at this point. And honestly, my, my opinions on it haven't changed all that much. Um, I personally think that, you know, you should um, put out your beliefs on your, your personal platforms and you should engage with what you want on your personal platforms and that businesses don't really have a place to do that. Um, I think that if you are a representative of a business and you go out and you represent yourself on a platform, say you're the CEO of a company and you take a stance on something, that would be enough. Um, but the business itself is not a person. And so, you know, I'm, I'm personally of the belief that you should go out and stand for what you want on your own, on your own platforms, but that businesses should stick to business and shouldn't really jump into social issues. But, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. The, um, uh, the environment has changed a little bit and has kind of forced some people's hands, or at least it seems as though yeah. it has. Um, but I'm going to stick to my answer that I gave a couple of months ago. And that is that, you know, if you, if you want to take a stand and you want to use your business's platform in order to do it, you think that you're going to be more impactful that way. You want to use your, your business to be a louder voice than you would be individually. That is your prerogative. Um, regardless of whatever stance you want to take there, but you have to be ready to uh, to take the consequences. You know, people are saying that you know, we've got freedom of, freedom of speech, but you don't have freedom uh, from consequences. So um, whatever stance you want to take out there, don't, you know, don't come crying to me about it when, when things come crashing down around you because you took some stance or something. Um, you know, if, if you want to leverage your company and you want to give yourself a megaphone use, uh, by using your company's platform, you know, more power to you, but you have to understand there will be consequences for doing that, positive or negative. Uh, but as long as you're willing to take those on, I say, uh, I say, go for it. You can definitely do that. That is, uh, that is within your power to do so. Um, 
I want to move into the second part of my points here. You know, I had started off saying I wanted to uh, separate my two points into categories. I started off with my sort of tech side of things, talking about AI and natural language processing. But I did want to talk a little bit about the marketing side and then probably pass that over to you, Mike, as the marketing side of the business here. Um, and pretty much my marketing prediction, if you will, or really the trend that I've seen in 2020 that I think is powerful enough to continue well into 2021, um, if not beyond, is there's going to be a separation or there has been a separation and there will continue to be a separation between my advice on social media marketing and search engine marketing. And I'll kind of throw in display advertising into that too, but basically Google ads on that second category. Um, and this is where I think, I don't know, you might disagree with me here, Oh boy! Uh, but I want to see your thoughts. I think, um, on social media, we have to, we have been seeing a lot more of, and we will continue to see a lot more of interactive content. So you're not just using Facebook or Instagram or Twitter as a megaphone and saying, Hey, look what I have here. There's going to be a lot more drive for engagement. So we're going to see things like quizzes and contests and giveaways. And, uh, you know, we call it social media, but people just go out there and yell, this should be a social experience. And so I think we've seen a lot more content, um, specifically in content marketing, focusing on being interactive, driving that engagement and trying to create that sort of two way communication between businesses and their audiences or their customer base. So I think on social media, we're going to see more and more and more things going that way into branded games and interactive videos yeah. and utilizing these sort of multimedia types of content to engage with people, really looking for people to interact with you that way. Again, contests, quizzes, polls, anything you can do to drive that engagement from your audience base into your content. Yep. And then going on the other side into search engine marketing, display ads, Google ads, I'm seeing that get much more into programmatic advertising, which again, I know you've spoken out against really, especially in this small business space on this show before. Um, but seeing the massive amounts of data over there paired with what I talked about earlier, the increases of efficacy and accessibility of natural language processing and artificial intelligence technologies just makes me think that especially in the small business space, it's going to be hard to stay away from uh, programmatic marketing from automatic ad buying and ad bidding when it comes to uh, Google ads, uh, which is really hardly a new thing. It's kind of been on the uh, on the rise over the last couple of years, and it's really been a, a big play of larger businesses. But now that these things are getting more and more accessible, I just see, see those being so effective and so cheap um, that it's going to be moving more and more into the small business space. Uh, as far as, again, just looking at search engine advertising. So that's going to be the, the split right. there on social, really pushing for engagement, personalized content, looking to drive that two-way type of conversation, and then going completely the other way with search engine marketing and uh, doing automated bidding and programmatic advertising. What I think that's a, I think a lot, well, I think, I think it's a solid prediction, Miles, and I, I think you're right that that's what's going to happen. I guess I I would still argue that programmatic digital is not the you know the best thing to do or or the way there. Uh, so 
I'm agreeing with you, but I guess the distinction or where I would, I would draw the line or where maybe where we disagree is on the, uh, the fact of what should happen. And, and here's my thing with programmatic digital, and I guess I'll pull back on it a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm not as against it as I, as I was in the past because I do see what you're saying, uh, that the, you know, the AI technology is getting extremely more advanced than where it was even two years ago. And it's making it, uh, it's making it easier. It's making it smarter than ever before to use programmatic digital, in, especially when you're when you're buying uh, on large scales. You know, we're talking about agencies that that do the Fortune uh, 5,000 and, and 1,000 companies. They're certainly going to be doing that. Uh, I I think the the problem in and where it lacks is still on the creative side. And so, given you know you know me, I'm. I, in the great debate of creative versus math, I'm, I'm on the creative uh, side of the debate there. But I, I think that we, uh, we lose something when we take that human element out. And, and actually something that you mentioned earlier uh, on the search side of it, you know, that, you know, how Google and AI and, and just search engines in general, were getting more human-like speech patterns down, that, that's going to be, you know, where this conversation in the future gets really, really, really interesting. Uh, I don't know if they'll ever be able to think exactly like a human, but right now the gap is still too wide for me. You know, that, that I still want uh, as much human involvement in that process from a creative side as, as I can. And I'm not just talking about the copy of things. I'm also talking about um, everything from stylistics to placement to targeting. Um, you know, I, I really want the human element in there as much as possible still. You know, I don't, I, I don't disagree with you there. Um, I think that, I think that as we look at this into the future and as we, uh, as we push forward into this year, there's going to be less of a, or in between those two categories between the, mm -hmm. between the machines and the human. I think it's really going to play more into what I was talking about at the very beginning of this with more assistive technologies to take the creative types like you and your content production and pair them with the, just the raw power of the artificial intelligence, the machine learning, that big data uh, capabilities that, that those technologies provide and allow you to to filter your creativity through those tools and amplify everything that a creative individual is doing. So, right. you know, I'm it, not saying that one thing is going to replace the other or that there's no need for creative development anymore, but I'm seeing, you know, these things are just getting too big, too powerful and too accessible, too easy for us as small businesses to ignore. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and I, and this is going to it's going to play out really really interesting over the next few years because i think it, things are pulling in different directions here i mean people people are, are people are wanting more content than ever before people are engaging with more content than ever before on the flip side there is more content than ever before but i, I also think that people are more desynthesized you know desynthesized to uh advertising into what we talked about last week on the show um, interruption advertising than ever before. And so I think, you know, how this plays out is the people who are the storytellers, who are the artists, you know, we've already seen it happen. You know, the artists and storytelling or in, and content creators are in more demand now than they ever have been before. 
and the math geeks are in, in less demand than ever before because all the formulas went out the window when COVID hit. You know, it was just like the best laid plans, right? And and so what has what has been working the last nine months are the people who have been able to tell stories that that provide value to the audience and have been able to engage their audience with their content because that's what people want. They don't want to be sold to. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's really going to be an interesting um, dynamic, I guess we should say here, how this plays out over, over the, the, call it next uh, 18 to 24 months. Well, you know, I, I think that we, we pretty much agree there. Uh, we're going to see where, where some of that, um, where that balance shifts over here in the next month. But if I can try to kind of summarize what we've, what we've hit here in a couple of smaller points for anyone jumping here at the end, uh, or who just needs that summary. Um, and I'll let you jump in on anything that I forget, cause I'm sure there will be several points. Uh, but basically we're looking at, you know, whether you're a, a CMO at a company or a, a small business owner, or you're just running the social media side or anything, um, moving into 2021, um, we're going to recommend or predict, I guess, uh, we should be shifting more resources, more of your marketing resources into social and search, specifically local search, um, add more personalized and interactive content to your social play, really pushing for that engagement level of things. Um, look at some sort of, of um, assistive technologies, leveraging, um, voice search and AI technologies, whether that's analyzing your marketing trends um, or your sales trends or your financials um, or your social, whatever, use some of those tools out there that are available to help you. Um, and then also internally, try to leverage some of these technologies to help engagement within your teams. You can't forget about your employees and that they're, uh, they're struggling with this new world of remote working if you happen to fall into that category. Uh, these trends and hopefully some of these tips can help to generate more traffic, uh, get you to show up in search, get you more engagement, and overall uh, help you to leverage technology to increase your marketing efforts into 2021. Mike, did I miss anything there? Uh, I don't think so. I, I know we got to wrap this up soon, Miles, but I do have a couple other quick things here. Okay. That, that, I, that I wanted to get out there that we actually haven't hit yet. And, and the, these are more in the solely in the prediction category based on what we've been talking about here that that's happened over the last so uh, much Mike peer into nine the months. Ball. Yeah. So I, now I'm going to get my, my crystal ball out and I'm going to make a fool out of myself. And we're, we're going to have some, some fun bloopers for, uh, for Anna to put together so we can make fun of me about a year from now. Um, all right, I'm, I'm going to take these one at a time, and I'll, I'll give you a, a, a minute here to comment on them. The first one I already gave away a couple of weeks ago on the show, uh, and that is I think the big companies, they're not only going to invest more in social media, and they're going to invest less in traditional than they have been before, which is, of course, being a big trend, but they're going to go on the emerging platforms. So we're going to have more Fortune 500, more Fortune 1000 companies on TikTok, on uh, Snapchat, you know, on some of the, the, the smaller, uh, what we used to think of as, as younger uh, categories that are becoming older by the day. And what I think that's going to have is that's going to have a pricing effect that we've already been seeing. 
that's going to price out a lot of small companies off of this platform or off of the major platforms, especially. Uh, and it's going to make it harder for smaller companies in order to gain that initial foothold in the, uh, the emerging platforms. What's your, what's your uh, thoughts on that, Miles? Well, I do think that uh, you're right. Some of the bigger companies are definitely seeing uh, increased presences on the smaller and smaller platforms. Um, I do think that the bigger companies are they're doing better at uh, being active on smaller platforms, but they're still pretty risk averse and looking at new platforms. For example, we had a conversation last week about Parler. You know, we're seeing lots of smaller companies jumping on that, some niche companies jumping on that, but not uh, you know major fortune 500 fortune 1000 businesses jumping on something like that so i think there is still a little bit of, they are still a little bit risk averse which is going to save some of that um, and then i do see some trends that are mirroring what i was talking about in search earlier that is local coming up in social platforms as well so i think there's going to be a little bit more of a push towards local um, and some other similar uh, modifications that if small businesses leverage those things uh, properly, they can utilize those tools and those metrics to compete with some of the big boys in their particular markets. So yes, okay. caveat. Yeah, well, that's a great caveat because you're right. You know, the, the, the advantage that we have as small companies is we, we, we can move fast. We can pivot left, we can pivot right, we can juke, we can head fake. Uh, the big bohemus can't do that. You know, they move like glaciers. Uh, and so we, hopefully we'll be able to stay ahead of the, uh, of the trend here. Uh, okay, the next big thing I had, and these are just big picture predictions here, uh, that, you know, companies that are just positioning themselves and only sell commodities and pretty much everything today is a commodity will continue to get squeezed out. And I actually, I tried to find the number miles and I don't know what this says, but I can't find, somebody help me out and send me the number. I can't find a good number on how many small businesses have gone out of business over the last nine months. Uh, the most recent, it looked like good data point I could find is this 800 small businesses going out a day, which is a horrifying number. And I hope that's wrong. Uh, but I think that small businesses who are only positioning themselves as the commodity, meaning uh, you know, I'm the store that you go to because I positioned my store next to your neighborhood, right? The old way of, of basically retail thinking, they're going to continue to get hurt. And the people who make it, and, and that, not just small companies, that's also big companies. The people who, who make it and who uh, don't get squeezed are the ones who go to the edges. So they offer something different or they're able to position themselves through branding and through value comment or content as creating a community. And, and this is something that I think we're going to talk a lot more about in the new year. And that is, I think that there's a pent up demand for community uh, with just people out there in general. You know, we've all over the past nine months being socially isolated have, I think, lost a little sense of just being among, you know, our, our, our tribe, so to speak, and, and, and being in that community with one another. And so I think that people are really searching that out and that companies who are able to build that, especially online, where we can give access to a large community at once, are, are going to be the ones who really succeed. So what do you think about that? Um, just in terms of, you know, of people getting squeezed out, 
who aren't uh, being different. And uh, the real advantage here, the secret weapon, is building that brand and building that community. Well, I do think, especially within the small in the small business world, like you had just said in the previous point, that one of our major strengths is that we can play those high risk, high reward games. We can be a little bit more agile than the big boys out there. Um, I think we can do we can do a lot of things that they can't, and that allows us to uh, to change, to be more agile, and hopefully stay on our toes during this. Uh, this weird time we're in. So I do think that the people who keep doing the same thing they have been doing uh, for the last couple of decades are going to be hurt. And the people who are able to change are able to pivot and do something new here are really going to see some major wins on that side of things. Um, talking about the, the idea of community, I think that over the last couple of months, we've said it a hundred times, um, small businesses particularly, but really all businesses out there need to also think of themselves as a media company. You're mm -hmm. not just the place that makes the pizzas. You're not just the place that sells the things. You are your own media company. You need to be creating content. You need to be building an audience. You need to get it, getting that content out to your audience and engaging them. And secondarily, if not primarily, thinking of your business as a media company. I think the natural progression of that that may have gotten a kick in the rear due to the pandemic um, an acceleration I mean is to build is to see yourself as a micro community so maybe that first step here and we didn't even realize that was that was uh, early in its evolution or in its inf infancy stage is that you know we started off looking at ourselves as a media company and then the next step is looking at ourselves as a community. Um, and the best place and the most powerful place, most effective place to really build a community like that is online, using your online presence, using your website, using your, uh, your social media, using all of those tools at your disposal to reach the maximum amount of people, um, to expose yourself to the right people. Because again, we don't have to sell to everyone. I'd rather bring 10% right. of the people 100% of the way instead of 100% of the people 10% of the way. I want to reach my target audience, engage them properly, and bring them into the fold to make my own little business community. So that's, that's how I see that in which, you know, in which case I do agree with you, um, but I want to put it in that proper frame. So um, as we were saying before, you want to think of yourself as a media company first, and then the natural progression of that is you got to build your own little community. hundred percent miles. Yeah. That you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, the vehicle to create the community is is creating content which the most efficient way to create content is to as you pointed out to become a media company you know as, as so many people joseph uh, polizzi uh, gary v you know and and the rest have been harping on for years and have been leading by example but for sure 2020 may just put about 10 exclamation points you know on that on that uh that that statement because that that's what's going to take you from just being a commodity seller to being a brand first of all and then and then creating a community around that and i think i think our first show back um after the holiday break here in the new year will be you know the the, the top five the top ten or whatever you know things that you must do uh to be successful in in 2021 and i'd put near the top of that list hiring a full-time or part-time uh, content creator and taking that first step, no matter how small your business is. And maybe that, maybe that is you, uh, you know, as the, as the owner of the company at first uh, to, to dedicate some time and some resources 
to putting out as much value-based content as you possibly can, because that is going to be the deciding factor of success uh, moving forward here in, in the new year. Okay, good stuff. And then the last thing I had, and then we will we'll, we will put uh, 2020 to bed, and, and boy, has it been a fussy one. Uh, and, and this is uh, D, DTC is king, meaning direct-to-consumer is king. And that may be a little bit obvious from the retail consumer side, but uh, I, well, I'm going to tie all of these thoughts that we've been discussing together and, and also explain how it's extremely relative on the sales, marketing, and advertising side as well moving forward. So, you know, uh, going back to my original observation of 2020 uh, and the digital pivot in America 2.0, uh, and, you know, obviously e-commerce has been exploding uh, across the <laughs> across the United States uh, since the pandemic uh, pandemic hit, uh, especially direct to consumer uh, brands themselves. And a lot of traditional retail brands have, quote unquote, saved their bacon by, you know, traditioning or tra transitioning a great portion of their sales to direct to consumer online. So in Q2. We saw the greatest uh, e-commerce sales in, in history that was uh, then uh, eclipsed in Q3. And we're not sure exactly what the numbers are going to be in Q4, but just based on what happened uh, over Black Friday and Cyber Monday, it's, it's going to be the same. It, it's going to be bigger than ever. And so, you know, the, the consumer has spoken. Uh, they want it and they want it now. And they don't want to have to uh, go through a bunch of hoops to get it. And I think that on the flip side of that, that also, also uh, what we're seeing in terms of prices uh, increasing on the major social platforms like Facebook, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the issues you know, that, that people have been having, you know, getting uh, small businesses, getting their accounts banned for no reason, and all of these things on some of these big platforms, uh, is that we, we're going to have to start finding different ways. And, and Miles, you know, we, we've been discussing this, uh, forecasting this, predicting it, warning of it for, for years and years and years that, you know, this golden opportunity that we had as small businesses on social media was going to end. And that, you know, it was a land grab. And then if you didn't jump in with both feet and you didn't stake out your claim, you were going to be wishing that you had. And... Uh, you know, it's it's sad for me to say, as one of the biggest uh, proponents of this, <laughs> at least here locally, uh, and and I hope I don't make some of our clients, uh, uh, you know, drop one in their in their pants right here. But I think that we can officially say that that time has come where the golden age of social media for small businesses is going to pass, and at least on the major platforms. Now we may be able to revitalize it on these emerging platforms, on TikTok, on, on some of the, you know, the smaller ones. But in terms of the, the big bohemus, Facebook, Google, uh, you know, even, you know, Twitter and maybe Instagram, uh, the, the, the price of attention is going to start to level out, meaning you're not going to get an insane deal anymore. You're not going to be able to build a, a direct-to-consumer brand from nothing, you know, <laughs> up to a multi-million dollar brand on the back of something like Facebook like has been happening over and over again, uh, especially for the past five years. And so what I mean by this is we're going to have to start pivoting ourselves 
and we're going to have to go more direct to consumer with our messaging. So not only the products and the sales are going to have to be direct to consumer, but we're going to have to be direct to consumer. And this goes back a little bit, Miles, into your point about being a media company, because how do you do go direct to consumer? Well, you have to put out content that people are going to go to and engage with, not the other way around. You know, right now in a lot of our marketing and advertising, we're trying to go out and we're trying to find people who wouldn't otherwise want to hear from us, right? Like they, we're going to have to give people a reason to go say, hey, I want to go see what this company's doing. I want to go see what they put out today because it's going to have to be valuable to me, which is why we always harp on uh, reverse engineering what the customer wants and talking about that and providing that to them. And so, you know, how are some ways that we can do this? Uh, email. Uh, you know, being more targeted with when we are on the big platforms, you know, in doing things like this, like engaging live with our customers one on one uh, when we're doing something on Facebook. Uh, but a big one to me, though, is uh, is having your own channel and having your own show, uh, just like we're doing right here. And so I think for a lot of people moving forward, that's going to be podcasting and, you know, and having your own podcast is going to be extremely important. Or maybe it's having your own YouTube show or whatever it is. Maybe, you know, if you're a big company, like uh, uh, you, you're going to take the example of Red Bull and you're going to have your own program on Netflix, you know, and you're going to do content marketing that way. But I think bringing your message direct to the consumer through content advertising is going to be the new arbitrage of where you can find attention at a less price than anyone else. And, and again, like we were talking about before, that's how small businesses win in this environment is we pivot faster, we move faster, and we go to where the underpriced attention is. And so just like we went through this whole period over the past 10 years or so where traditional media got overpriced and all of a sudden the attention that we were able to get from that wasn't worth what we were being asked to pay for it, we're going to start, we're, we're now going through this period where the big behemoth social media and digital companies that were this great platform for us to advertise cheaply on and get this amazing uh, audience is going to be start to get more expensive and it's going to even start to price out some of these smaller companies completely from the, from the platforms. And so the ones who are successful again are going to be the ones who understand, okay, where's the underpriced attention are, where can I talk to my consumers one-on-one -on -one with the least amount of interference and, and get the most bang for my buck. And it, it's, it's going to be different answers for different businesses. But in a general speaking way, I think that that is going to be the thing in 2021 that really produces the most success is how can I bring my message direct to my consumer as well as my products and services? Well, I was going to try to summarize everything here at the end. Uh, but that point, I think you kind of hit on everything with that, with that one point there. So uh, nicely done. Um, I think that uh, we're we're probably going to wrap up here as we've gone we've gone way overboard here, but you know this last show of the year might as well. That's right, uh, going yeah. out on that we're going out on a high note, Miles. <laughs> but I think that um, you know if I can give one one piece of advice here, that is that we've laid out a lot of information here. Um, if anything, you want a tool to move forward in the next year, watch this episode again. So we've hit a lot of stuff here. And if you think that this information is valuable, we're putting out good resources, then like, share, engage with this. Let the social media gods know that we're doing something. We're doing something useful and worth watching here. Help us to reach more people.
Uh, if you do have any questions and you're catching this later, uh, you're not catching us live, then email us at askwildman at wildmanweb.com. Uh, we'll try to get to you next uh, next time because we're actually off next week. Uh, this is the last show of the year. We'll be picking it up again next uh, next year, I guess. January 6th will be our next Ask Wildman. We're off next week. Uh, but go ahead and email us your questions. We'll either get back to you via email or answer your questions next uh, next year on Ask Wildman. So with that, Mike, thank you very much. Thank you, Miles. Uh, I did have just one other little tidbit there uh, for anybody interested in lieu of not having a show next week. We're not going to leave you with without any content. That, <laughs> that would that would be taking all of our advice that we give and throw it out the window. Instead, while we're taking next week off. Uh, we are going to launch the podcast next week. So instead of Wild Man episode, whatever it is, uh, Ask Wild Man episode, whatever it is, you're going to be able to go back and you're going to be able to listen to uh, every episode of Ask Wild Man in its entirety in your own enjoyment, probably some 30 hours or so of great content that you can use that to ring in the new year because I know that's going to how, how you're going to be wanting to spend uh, the last remaining days of this this wonderful ex social experiment called 2020. Uh, Miles, that's all I had for the people today. Uh, really appreciate you going over with me uh, time-wise and having some fun. And uh, Always. Yeah, everybody have a wonderful uh, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, happy Festivus today uh, to everybody out there. Any other, any other birthday folks, uh, happy birthday out there and uh, happy new year everybody uh, looking looking forward to 2021 it's going to be great all right thanks mike and we will see you next year take care. all right guys that is it for ask Wildman for 2020 um as he said there we are putting out our podcast that our live show um, will be up on our website. So if you want more content, you are missing us next week, go to wildmanweb.com. Um, we've got our blog up there with tons of articles. We've got um, all of our Ask Wildman shows along with show notes there, giving you timestamps for when questions are actually asked. We'll be working on putting those together more and more as, uh, as time goes on. We'll have our podcast up there. We have the form to sign up for our sales system, form to sign up for our local business online toolkit, which is free, by the way. Uh, and lots of other resources. So again, go to wildmanweb.com to check all that out. Um, and we will see you again next year. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to Ask Wildman. Send us a question for next week's show at askwildman at wildmanweb.com. <laughs>